0: Welcome to the OOFSA Podcast. We'd like to acknowledge that this podcast is produced on the unceded, ancestral, and occupied lands of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil Waututh nations. Here at the OOFSA Podcast, we're very excited to announce a new member to our team. Eve O'Day will be the podcast's new host, and for today's episode, we gathered the podcast production team for a roundtable to introduce Eve and a little bit about ourselves, too. We all talked about some of our favorite films as well as the films that got us to consider film studies or thinking more critically about film generally. We hope you enjoy the conversation.
1: Hello, my name is Evo Day. I'm a third-year honors major in film studies. And the film that got me involved in film studies, uh, well, I have been overly obsessed with film since 8th grade, but in, well, that was when I first watched The Breakfast Club for the first time, and I thought John Hughes was the... Greatest filmmaker of all time. Uh, but in March 2017, I was watching the Oscars and I remember seeing Barry Jenkins win for best screenplay for Moonlight. And of course, the whole Oscar debacle that year was one of the best moments of my life because I loved Moonlight so much. But earlier before the Oscars, I had listened to an interview with him on Awards Chatter, which is the podcast for The Hollywood Reporter. And he mentioned his own years studying filmmaking at university and making his first film. And he just described the actual pathway that leads you to being a notable filmmaker. And now he's up there accepting an award for my favorite film of that year. And it kind of made me have a sort of epiphany that you don't, that there's a way to get into film that's not just acting. You can actually make it. You can actually study it. You can study the craft. You can study the history. So that really pulled me in and made me just wanna invest all my academic life into film.
2: Hi everyone, I'm Dheeraj Warren. I'm one of the co-producers of those podcasts. I use he, his, him pronouns. I'm actually not in film studies. I'm a, a final year, sixth year English <laughs> honors student. Um, I can't really think, like I've always been interested in film, um, I guess, and I've always been engaging with it, like attempting to engage with it critically without having the tools per se. Um, but I think the film in particular which I really did note was distinct from other films, um, in terms of the way it was treating subject matter. Plus it was much darker was um Anurag Gashap's Dev D. It's this two thousand and nine film. Um that's a so it's so there's this like very well known Bengali epic called Das, which is about this um it's this romance between this very upper class um alcoholic man and it's basically about his downfall and he's in love with this other upper class woman um but that doesn't work out for whatever reason I think he's shitty to her and it's also about his relationship with the sex worker who serves as a Another person that he does fall in love with eventually, but can also not attain. Sorry, spoilers. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the basic I think premise. We, <laughs> I think we have to accept spoilers <laughs> at
0: this
2: point. Yeah, it's a, that's the basic premise. It's like this, like early, like I think late nineteenth century short story. Um, and so Anurag Kashyap's film is a much more modern retelling. And so the short story has been told on screen in like mm-hmm. spectacular ways. So like there was the two thousand and one Shahrukh Khan version, which was a big deal. Um, and so this contemporary one, I, I I just found it so wonderful and it's, you know, it's graphic in it's treatment of sex and stuff but I think it it engages with the class politics in a much more significant, much more critical way, it engaged with uh, gender and um, you know, just like slut-shaming and socialization and all of that um, without actually having to like explicitly talk about it or have the characters even explicitly talk about it um and I think that is what really got me thinking about film more critically. Um,
0: yeah. So my choice uh, for what film got me into film studies or thinking about film more critically will just reveal what kind of a strange child I was. Um, <laughs> so I chose Michael Haneke's Cachet from 2005. Um, I remember seeing it some, like, mid-range high school, maybe grade 10 or 11. Uh, I was visiting family in France and we stayed uh, with a friend of my mom's for a little bit and the adults were doing their own stuff and I was kind of bored and so she let me rifle through her DVDs to watch something and I found cachet, put it on, had no idea what it was Uh, and for those of you who don't know the film, it's rather strange Uh, the basic premise is this upper-class-ish guy who is like a literary critic on a TV show, so he has like a review show. He starts getting these tapes in the mail that are just videos of like the exterior of his apartment. So someone's just like filming outside his house and sending him videos of them. And he's like very weirded out by it and it doesn't stop. And he starts to wonder like who it could be. And then there are these strange... Like drawings that get a little violent that are attached to the videos. So he starts getting a little unnerved and starts thinking back about people from his past who it could possibly be, and it becomes a, a, a bit of a thriller. Uh, and the ending is very frustratingly ambiguous. <laughs> um, so I remember finishing it and being like, what the hell did I just watch? Uh, also, there's a moment of extreme violence that, like, came out of nowhere, and I think it's probably one of the only times I've, like, audibly gasped while alone (laughs) watching a movie. Um, And so I immediately became, like, obsessed with the movie. Also, it's a French movie, set in France, very much about uh, French culture and history. Uh, And so being bilingual and um, at least French is my second language, there's also that kind of pleasure of watching a movie in your second language, Uh, and being able to understand it the whole time and like being about the culture that like my mom's from France so it's something that's still distant but I have access to and so it's there's just this kind of inherent joy about being able to interact with the the culture uh, in a slightly less mediated way so I think that also added to the experience of it when I was younger. Um, but I became obsessed with it, looking, like, I tracked it down when I came back to get a DVD and, like, watched all the bonus features to see what Haneke had to say for himself uh, and to try and explain things. And when you start looking online for explanations, it's all extremely dense and extremely theoretical, so it just really piqued my curiosity, not only uh, because it, all the explanations are extremely theoretical, but the film is still... In a way, I haven't fully grappled with yet. Still very enjoyable to watch, uh, despite all its perversity mm-hmm. and distancing. Uh, so yeah, that's the movie that kind of like set things off. I and mean, like, I want to be able to dive into this a little bit, a little bit more deeply.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, your point about the the second language piece in terms of um, you know being knowing the culture and like having a relationship with it. I think is so is, is so important because like yeah, I mean even even to be able to, like, see the discrepancies between, like, the subtitles on screen and what the characters are actually saying. So, like, every time I watch a Hindi movie or anything that's on Netflix, because I speak Hindi and Marathi, and so I haven't seen much Marathi stuff on Netflix, but, like, especially the Hindi stuff, I find they, like, um, really, like, tone down all the swear words, all the... In the the subtitles? yeah, Yeah, everything becomes, like, really, like, cliche and cute when it's, like, no, no, this is, like, a... This is a noir gangster, like... About so part epic, weird. like, they're swearing at each other, yeah. like, in really gross, grotesque, perverse ways, Um, but then it just ends up being, like, the F word or something, yeah. you know, and it's like, so it's, it's, it's interesting navigating that, Um and also just, like, um like, the context and the culture becomes almost, like, hello, Christian, hello, Christian has just joined us,
3: <laughs> thank you, hi, hello,
2: um, yeah, it becomes almost, like, a, like, a subtext to the film that, like, very few people have access to and just pick up, opens up so many like, different readings as well I think um, and I think like when you go back
0: to try and find like films that marked you in particular ways like your favorite films or films that got you into film studies there's like a lot around the first time you saw it and mm-hmm. a lot about like where you were at that time or uh, other factors that aren't, aren't just from the film that kind of like crystallized into making it this kind of very impactful experience for you Mm-hmm. Uh, for sure, yeah. I agree. Hello. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we were going around and starting with the uh, film that got us into film studies. Right. Would you like to share yours immediately uh, I mean. <laughs> upon entering the room? <laughs> sure.
3: <laughs> I I didn't think I thought of or, or knew what film studies was before, so probably just the film that in general changed the perspective of what film could be for me. And, and that's why I agree with what you were saying about circumstance. Because I remember probably being 11 or 12. I can't. I can't. I'm not sure. But it was just a school trip. I don't know where we were going. And we were going to watch a film. And we went to see Les Triplets de Belleville. And because when I was a kid, I would just. All I cared about was drawing and and just drawing all the time. So that's sort of like my approach to or my interest in in media it was just like films and 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 tv and tv shows are only you know uh cartoons and and things that uh make you um it was just for pure entertainment and then i saw that film which was it's drawn it's it's uh 2d animation but it was like it the story is completely out there it was dark it was um it it felt like a made for adults Without being, uh, without being too graphic or, Mm. or sort of it seemed like it was for adults. It was it was still treating its product like it was for the whole family, but it's still there's I don't know if you've seen the film, but it's like it's about drama. It's it's a drama that, uh, it's also crime and it's comedy at the same time. So, I remember just being like blown away by the film and starting critically thinking about what. Uh, what that meant um, what could I read beyond what I was reading at that point which was just uh, entertainment like I said so from that point onwards I think I I started uh, trying to find films that were more into that realm into that uh, let's start thinking about critically, critically about this and um probably also comes with the age of like well you know now i'm a grown-up because i'm 12. uh so i can be part of a bigger conversation in the table um and i, I guess that sort of that process began with that film wow <laughs> um, yours
0: yours got kick-started the earliest among us i think yeah really 12 what's, years old film studies what's the average age I do know. My, my pick was from, like, high school. My pick
1: was from last year. But, I mean, I was interested in film way before I actually wanted to do film studies. I, if, if we're actually going, which film got you really interested in, like, film actually being really great, I would say Apocalypse Now. Because that was, like, my dad, that's one of my dad's favorite movies, and he introduced me and my sisters to that, and we were all, like... No, this is like a boys' movie. <laughs> and, then, and then we would watch it while I was on my phone, which I now, if someone watches a movie with me and they're on their phone, I like just death glare at them the whole time. Then I, you know, I watched it without any distractions and I thought, okay, never mind, this is the best movie ever.
0: I find a lot of movies that I really like, I hated the first time I watched them. And then come back to them and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> or just something about like, or even when I was a kid, I remember like a few times I'd watch a movie and hate it, and then like literally the next day, like maybe I need to watch that again.
1: I hated <laughs> Singing in the Rain the first time I saw it, and now it's one of my favorite films. So I think, do you guys I, have any Because I, I was a, a dumb, young, angsty teen. That's why I didn't. The it's the happiest <laughs> film of all time, and I just didn't want that. I was like, that's, I don't want to be happy. This is fake.
3: They're <laughs> all lying.
2: She's behind the curtain. We know she's. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually on the opposite and like identifying, which is why I like kind of stopped seeing more of the like classics that I saw as a kid, because I found that like when I revisited them as an adult, I was just like, "Oh God, I'm like annoyed. Like, why yeah. am I so annoyed?" Um, yeah. But, like Vertigo, for example, I remember as a child, like I was so enthralled by Vertigo. I think. If I do go back like far enough, like that would be probably like a notable film instance, because and I'm I'm not even sure why I thought it was
1: so interesting. I've never liked Ver- I've never liked Vertigo. Fair. Ever. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a I'm a very much a Hitchcock critic in a negative way. So that sounds a little blasphemous, but I I'm on I'm just having blasphemous
3: now. But when Vertigo came out, people were thinking like you. They're like, what is this piece of. Yeah, that B movie. And then it it took like 10 years for people to be like, the greatest film of all, because he's dead
1: now. We should do a whole Hitchcock (laughs) episode. I would be very down for that. Um, I think I know a
0: few other people who would also be down to a little shit fest on Hitchcock. Shit fest. At the
2: time, I just engaged with it as a child, and so it was just pretty fast. But as an adult, I was like, wow, that was three hours. Like <laughs> I agree
3: so with much. you, but I, 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 again, it's also about experience. Uh, yeah. And I think about like the Disney, fil- Disney films that I can't watch again because right. of that. I remember um, when I lived in Gage, the first year they used to do this thing, or RAs, they would do like Disney night and they would give you a lot of food, free food, which is very important. <laughs> um, and I went down there and they were playing Mulan and that was the first time that I saw it. Since the first time that I saw it. Uh And the first time that I saw it was it was I remember it being great because we were at the we were at the movies. I was with my dad and he always falls asleep but he was awake this time. And it was right when she's fighting the the bad guys uh, in the mountain and she's like putting in the cannon and like mushu inside and like the music do 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 and like we were just waiting to see what happened and the movie just went black. Oh, like, no. I think the projector went down, and people were like, hey! Oh, no. And we had to wait, I'm going to say, like, five minutes, and then the movie started again. But, it, like, that ingrained the film in my head. And then I, I watched it again, engage and it was just... No, it was... Like, is it the, not good? I haven't seen it since well, I have no okay, idea what very, you're talking
1: about. Mulan is a great movie.
3: <laughs> no, well, I saw it now, and I'm, like... And now I'm super aware of the, like, the like the choices that they've made and how somebody went okay Eddie Murphy you gotta be black you gotta be like the blackest character so now you're sitting there and he's like a Chinese dragon be like that ain't right but it's like 10 times more than when I was a kid probably I saw it in Spanish too uh and I was just like and then the sort of like the approach to gender in that film which was probably the first one where first time they were like okay let's let's switch the roles, let's switch and see who can be the... She's a princess, but she's not actually... The princess that we've presented before, and this is the uh, second wave of, of Disney uh, films that it was sort of like going downhill after Lion King, and they were trying super hard. Um, it felt for me the second time that I saw it that it was pushing towards more like being comedic about it. Like, we, we get it, she's dressed in drag, basically. We, mm-hmm. we get it uh and then the whole idea of like i almost kissed a man and it was just sort of like if i w- that's the point i wouldn't say watch it again and see it with those eyes because it's just like the inside of um, knowing where you are right uh, in life and sort of like seeing those things that don't really match anymore um things that hasn't aged that well uh same as watching pocahontas like when i first saw it i was like this is fine and then you realize she's supposed to be 12 uh and 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 the problematic thing of that one is like when she learns English, it's just like she goes like this in the film, and then this wind caresses her hair. And she because she wants to talk to the guy, so she's like, "Please, Forest." And then she learns English, and she can speak from that point. So like those things that as a kid just went, uh, uh, I can't I can't rewatch it. And I actually don't watch a lot of films twice. I watch a film, and then I'm like. Good, and then it stays (laughs) in my head and then the opportunity comes but I don't really go into looking for do you watch a lot lot of films twice, three times? well actually in topic of
0: uh, coming up with our favorite movie or talking about our favorite movie I realized that I don't like a lot of the movies I've sort of cemented in my mind for myself as like my list of favorite movies I haven't seen in a really long time and I'm inherently suspicious of anything I haven't seen in a really long time for that reason like what if I revisit exactly. it's terrible it's terrible because I don't feel like I have I don't know, being in film studies is constantly having like an endless list of things to watch. Yes. So I, don't, I feel like I don't rewatch things very often because of that. I always like, oh, yes. I'm going to watch a movie. I've got like 10 million other movies to watch and I don't end up rewatching favorites that much. Mm-hmm.
1: My IMDb watch list is at least 400 titles long. It's, it's, and it's, it just continually, it, continuously it, it, gets it longer. It will get better with time. No, it really won't. <laughs> it won't okay. Speaking of movies we love, that's my my segue. That's the best best segue I could come up with. We are going to each discuss our favorite film of all time. Now, in (laughs) the world of film, having a favorite is both something that changes constantly. I'm sure my favorite film two years ago was different, and in two years from now it also might be different. And I have different types of favorite films, like my enjoyment favorite film is probably clueless i could watch that movie as many times as i want in one day but in terms of what i think is the greatest and is my favorite and i think everybody should see is 2001 mulholland drive so this my love for this film stems from an unapologetic love of los angeles movies about movies, and Lynchian thrillers. So I think I saw first saw this movie after watching Twin Peaks and being captivated by the entity that is David Lynch, um, and I I just, I never really heard, I had no idea what this movie was about, and I just thought, well, I should, I should give this a try, and I watched it for the first time in my basement, and I rented it from the library, and I, it comes with a the DVD comes with a list of clues to the film. And I thought, oh, if I read this list, it'll make sense. That's That did not. It what did not. The,
3: what were the clues?
1: Um, They're not clues. They're more like questions to ask yourself. Oh. So one of them is, uh, where does the climax of the movie take place? Where is Aunt Ruth going? Like, that's those are the questions. And you think, oh, if I answer that, I'll, I'll understand the film. You oh. don't. That's I think that he just put that in there to mess with us. <laughs> yeah. Um, So yeah, I mean, I was like many people, like I was so captivated when I first saw it, but I was frustrated because I thought it was meaningless. And then I immediately, like all all of us film geeks, immediately went to YouTube and looked up video essays about the film. And someone, I can't remember the name of the YouTuber, but someone made a very comprehensive, uh, clear, kind of gave a clear uh, definition of what exactly the film was about. And I realized, oh wait a minute, this is brilliant. And I realized that it's it's about um, illusions and it's about uh, thinking, seeing one thing, but really reality is something else. Like I think the lion in that film that is emblematic of the whole film is, hey, pretty girl, time to wake up. And that happens about halfway through the film. There's, of course, the scene in the nightclub where all the music is uh, not, it's a recording. It's all a recording, none of this is real. It's kind of like Lynch's showing us a movie, and he's in our face telling us what you're watching is not real, but he knows that we're still going to absolutely be immersed within it. Uh, From a different perspective, it's really cool that the two female leads, I mean, this film more than passes the Bechdel test, which is a controversial subject that needs further discussing, but the two female leads are obviously queer because they're in love with each other, but it's not Really talked about, which I really like. You know, the fact that they fall in love is just part of the plot. The fact that they're both women isn't something that you know. That's not a. That's not important. Like no one says, "Oh, did you hear that this character is a lesbian?" It's like no, they're just these two people that are in love, and it's not really something that it really requires further explanation. It's it's really it's just taken at face value, which I appreciate. So yeah, this film is not super popular. I don't know a lot of people who have seen it. So the people I do meet who have seen it is like a little. Kind of secret that we share with each other and i've written down in my notes that this film is like a conspiracy theorists sunset boulevard so i think i will end on that note
0: i was in no frills once and they started playing the song from club silencio no they did not and i wanted to complain to the manager
1: that you that can't do this the public. acapella spanish version of roy orbison's crying is, that's not that sounds illegal is,
3: terrifying
0: and and that is no oh
1: and no in, plus, in like a super what time of day was theory. it what time of day was this it is the middle of the day oh if the, i think if the worst time for Lynch. that's uh, you
3: can't uh, you can't really tell that's actually a very
1: Lynch Lynch- lynchian experience yeah. i would say so michael would you like to give your answer well or you
3: can comment on on mulholland drive
1: you can well, do no, that mulholland too drives,
0: like i love mulholland drive and all i'm gonna say is that the like moment when that like Weird guy from the diner goes around the dumpster. Oh my
1: god! <laughs> really comes
0: out. I think I had seven simultaneous heart attacks. While I
1: people, had- I've heard, I heard people like ah. like, no, like other podcast people. I've had heard more than one person. And it's not like that. they talk about that film a lot, but they have uh, uh, films where they talk about scariest moments of all time. They say that is the scariest it, it, moment in film of all time. It's, and it's there's so, no reason for it.
0: No, I don't know why it was
1: scary. It, it's, ha- it's scary because, it's, into, like, scary because it's in daylight, <laughs> and it's just so weird. And the sound. The sound is really yeah. in, in, in te- integral to its effectiveness.
0: Well, speaking of sound, let's oh, go transition to my somewhat. Well, my normal, as we were talking about, like it's hard to choose favorites, um, but I kind of have a stock answer, which is Videodrome, and that is something that I have seen many times, but I've also talked about it many times on this podcast as well. Uh, So I'm not going to choose Videodrome. I just wanted to... Why? Well, I just... (laughs) (laughs) The one thing I wanted to talk about Videodrome was uh, more what I was mentioning before about context. Uh, so I just remember watching it for the first time, also in high school-ish, um, and my great aunt had died a few years earlier and left me a very old TV set, it was like one of the first color TVs, and you had to change oh my the God. channel with these giant knobs, and the volume is what turned it on and off. So I had that in my room. It got, you know, basic cable channels, so I had TVO. And they were playing Videodrome in, like, the shitty, you know, picking up basic cable channels with the static, and it was very bad. Um, but just that exp- And also, it was, like, a really weird movie, and my parents weren't home. Oh. And I was just watching mm. it because they weren't home. Oh, been there. And then, like, it was, I just didn't know what I was getting into, but the movie is all about pirating video signals and, and really old TV sets, weirdly. Uh, so I never finished it. Um, because I had to stop it and then I like revisited it years later on like pristine blu-ray criterion Um, but I just feel like that experience of watching it in that really weird setting and like the weird static signals and it like going in and out uh, which mirrored the content of the film in a weird way uh, helped cement it as this strange favorite of mine
3: um, I hope you didn't watch Poltergeist or The Ring on that TV. No, I like, feel like I, I should have. I feel like I missed an opportunity. It sounds to like go. a horror movie. Yeah, you're yeah. by yourself and you're, it's
1: and then it's the only you know, light
3: coming out yeah. in the room. Mm-mm.
1: So is that your answer then, Videodrome?
0: Well, that's my general answer, but because I've talked about it more, I had other another pick, and I wanted to pick something that um, is more contemporary like something that i've seen recently i'm like this will become a favorite maybe in a few years but it hasn't quite got there yet but i'll let other people go because we're running out of time oh, okay Oh wow. so, so you're this not going to tell us if, if there's time if there's
2: time I'll, I'll do it
0: just say it just
1: say Ooh. it well the name
2: the movie is stranger by the lake oh my god i haven't seen it <laughs> um i also struggle to pick um a singular favorite i tend to like have like a Every couple of years or so, like, I'll have a favourite film. Yeah, and, and, I, and I do obsessively re-watch films. Like, I'm very, very much like, um, oh, yeah, I like this. This is going to be my go-to thing for, like, this particular mood or, like, mm, to yeah. meet this particular need. So mm-hmm. my, I guess, favourite is The Handmaiden by Park <laughs> Chan-wook. Um, oh. I watched it six times <laughs> in the year that it came out probably in the span of like three months um, I saw it a bit yeah and that film was just uh, it was so much fun like everything from like uh, you know like the set decor of like it being in colonial um, Korea and like this beautiful, these beautiful people on stage um, and just like the colours and like the plot and I, and I knew a little bit about the book itself and I was like not very, I didn't expect myself to be that, that installed because I knew, um, like the plot of the book that it was based on and I was like, okay, this will be this, like, potentially like a, like a twist or retelling aspect to it and I don't know if that's going to work for me, um, but no, like, I've seen it six times and I'm just like, every single time I, I, I see the part one and then the part two, which is a retelling of the part one from a different perspective than the part three synthesis, I'm just like, this is such a basic structure, but it works Mm -hmm. and it's so much fun and... Um yeah, and you know it's queer film, and obviously the the sex is like utterly unrealistic. Um like I mean yeah. There there's a lot I mean i mean, I guess in a in a in a dominant frame of what of what lesbian sex can look like, it's unrealistic. But I'm sure there's a there is a niche. Um and there is the whole like fetishization and the gaze. Um, but yeah, I think my favorite scene in that film is just um Hideko in in the tub, um, asking Suki to file her tooth, um, and this like performed like, uh, and I think Kimin, Kimin he is just excellent in that film, but like she's, you know she's 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 the lady and you know she's asking her to, um, file this tooth and I'm not gonna spoil it because I think you should all watch it if you all haven't. Um, but yeah, I just thought that film was, that that moment in particular was just so funny and just also just, like, dripping with sexual desire. And I also, like, like the way that he revisits the moment in the second part. Um, yeah, The Handmaid. Yeah, times.
1: I first watched that movie, like, two weeks ago, and I was like, oh my god, how is this not the most talked about film ever? It's great. <laughs> I really liked it. Um... I mean, I have never read the book, but I am he- I have heard of it. And I did not see any of the twists coming. And they all got me. And they were all so good. <laughs> and it was, yeah, it was really... But uh, one thing is, I don't know what... I think I don't remember what service I watched it through, but there was some kind of mix-up with the subtitles, because I know it's both in Japanese and in Korean. Mm. so there And it was supposed to be like, oh, uh, the... I think the Japanese subtitles are in yellow, and then the Korean ones are in white. But mm-hmm. for some reason, the version I watched, they were all white. So I got a little confused because I can't differentiate between Korean and Japanese. So I was a little bit confused about that. But it was still so captivating, and it, it felt—oh, god! There's a word that I'm felt. It was—it was so rich. That's a good word for it. It was very rich in mm-hmm. every way.
2: Yeah, yeah. And actually, that rem- the, the point you brought about sort of subtitles reminds me that like. I, I realized that the version that I watched at Biff had different subtitles than the mm-hmm. one I watched online. And I think the one I watched online, the subtitles were more like literal translations and were therefore less grammatically all there and a little bit more crude right. and crass. Um, So it was interesting, like, thinking through that because, like, I think the Biff ones were more like full English sentences that are polished and, like, the metaphors are tweaked to fit the English language or to make sense in an English to an English language viewer or... or yeah, yeah, so it was it was interesting.
3: That's an interesting input into uh, what they do in terms of sub- subtitles for, you know, that your film festival run and just to send the film that way and then when they actually hire, it. I'm going to guess, another company and then they send it to specific... Uh, online services or or markets and how it changes that's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw a Japanese film and I don't know Japanese, but I knew that the words were <laughs> wrong. Yeah, it was so well. Yeah, I mean you can so tell like, you can tell if yeah. it's
1: if if it's, if it's if it's the English is too uh, well, it's, pr- too preci- yeah, too yeah. it's too Yeah, too basic. It's too precise. Like when I am I'm, I'm in a couple foreign film. Uh, foreign language film classes this year and I can you know when we're watching them I can tell that there's what they're what is on the screen is not exactly what the characters are saying
0: well I'm just yeah also being bilingual in French I've had like many times growing up watching movies where like the subtitle is just wrong or just does not capture what they're saying at all so Mm -hmm. I'm inherently suspicious of subtitles I'm like yeah I don't know (laughs) like I remember I forget what like especially if you have like a shitty dvd like subtitles is like where people don't spend money on if they don't have it yeah. often so remember watching like mon oncle Antoine on a really crappy dvd and there's like a huge like plot point being given and then the subtitles just like didn't say it in english and like well that's that's important information that you just <laughs> didn't
3: give to your viewers yeah for sure and i think that's also why even when i watch films in spanish i turn on the subtitles just so just I can check if they're yeah. wrong, which is not a great part <laughs> of myself, but it's probably if I've seen the film before, then I can be like, yeah, I'm just going to want to see if you did it wrong or did it wrong or right. And that's basically my experience in, outdoor uh, cinema class. <laughs> that's what I was doing. I was like, is this right? Um... Right, it's my turn. <laughs> I wish I could say that there's a relationship between the film that I've watched the most and like my favorite films. But it's there's definitely not. And I cannot understand... I, I, I mean, I can understand why I watched this film so many times. I probably saw it 15 times in two days. I just sat there and I just put the DVD over and over. It was a Simpsons movie when it came out. And I... I just don't understand. <laughs> I, I literally it was a Saturday and a Sunday. I I'm gonna say that. And when you're a kid, I don't know how old I was, but I just sat there and I watched the film over and over again. And <clears throat> I I like the Simpsons, but not a fifteen. Uh, anyway, <laughs> fifteen times. I think you know what it was. There's a there's a scene in that film where they play the carpenters, and it's like the saddest thing in the <laughs> in the world. And like he. Homer even gets into, like, this piece of ice that it's floating, and then it's it's this, the the shape of a heart, and then it breaks in two because March left with the kids. Uh, and then they play the Carpenters, and then they're also playing their wedding video. And, uh, I mean, to me, playing the Carpenters just gives you uh, bonus points. That's just the person that I am. <laughs> I was like, yes. And then I Googled it, and I saw that they, for the film, they research a lot of French... Uh, French movies, French animation, and I was like, okay, there you go. I can see why. I was just watching that uh, so many times, but it's not one of my favorite films, and I refuse to choose one. <laughs> I just can't do it, and I feel like it's it's the question that follows the uh, I'm in film part of your of your speech whenever you yeah. meet someone. So I've probably answered this question a lot of t- a lot of times. So the way I approach it now is just I I. I give a list so people have more mm-hmm. yeah more options to watch and I just give them the uh, the reasons why I keep these films in the realm of like my favorite ones or at least a film that if you watch it again it's going to show you something different um, and I'm pretty sure if people know me and hear this episode they're going to be like Ugh, there they go again but um, and I wish I could uh, I, I wanted to put one that it's uh, something that I've watched recently so I can Price it up, but I can't really think of anything, so I'm just gonna go for my safe choices. And I always recommend Birth, I'm gonna say 2001 2 uh, Birth by Jonathan Glazer, with Nicole Kidman or about Nicole Kidman. It was just, it's, if you watch the film, there's the premises completely bizarre, but if you've seen uh, Under the Skin, which is his uh, most recent film, you sort of understand how he approaches a uh, crazy idea with this sort of touch and intellect and, and style and and that's why actors character actors sort of rely on him uh, that way um, Lauren Bacall is also in oh my um, God. I love her in Birth and I think right after Birth they did uh, Dogville Nicole Kidman and her mm-hmm. so it's like this moment in time where these two uh, character actresses just found their, themselves in sets and just gave them their, their all and it was just Birth in particular it's great the, the, the film sort of evokes I had this thesis in my head about um, how they represented um, um, uh, New York in the new millennia I, I can't say if this was shot after 9-11 but there's this sort of sadness and melancholy and, and sort of like uh, uh, something that they've learned from Woody Allen from Manhattan as well but it's not jassy anymore it's more of like stark darkness because of grief uh, so that's, that's basically the premise of the film. <laughs> and uh, it, it sort of taught me style and screenwriting as well and just like being bold. Um, and then the other one that I always tell people to watch is uh, The Incredibles, uh, the first one, which is a weird, like I thought, okay, I'm, I'm over 20 now, I can change this option, but the more I think about it, and then there was this essay, a three-part essay on a website that I, that I read Constantly, uh, where it sort of like broke down the ideas presented at in The Incredibles, and if you've seen the Iron Giant, that's the name of it. Mm-hmm. Right, it's not the Giant. I saw the film when I was a kid, and I was like, I love that film, but I just it was the time when you would watch a film on TV, and like it's gone. Yeah. Like when am I ever gonna? Uh, and then I I connected the dots, and it's the same. And Brad Bird, if you've seen wheel or any of his films too, it's this idea of. The hardest thing you could do for a screenplay is to have more than one main character, and these are five people. And then even the, uh, the 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 other satellite characters are like at the moment. It's just iconic. And then the idea of like you're in the future with the superheroes, but the art direction and the way that everything's drawn is sort of like the '50s '60s Americana, like the houses, the way the 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 lines are presented in The Incredibles, and then the the music just sort of like evokes like I, I I listen to that score constantly because it's sort of like this quickness that uh, it's, there's this sequence where, where the superheroes are jumping from building to building and that sort of like evokes what the music is supposed to be it just keeps on going without being like repetitive or or tired um, so that's why I keep saying go watch The Incredibles and then The Exterminating Angel for screenplay as well that's a great film <laughs> all about my mother. Just watch all the El Malor films. Uh, uh, Seconded. Yeah, Spain just has a great uh, library of film. So those are my <laughs> five
0: picks. Well, to back you up on the Simpsons movie, if I had to Thank pick you. the movie I'd seen the most times in my life, it's is probably insane. Home Alone 3. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> then if you're Three. taking childhood. <laughs> like, yeah, if it's but not the one or two. No, three. *The Kid with the Helmet* and *The Kid the... with the Cut* and the spies who are like stealing a microchip yeah. in the little car. Is it Renee yeah. no. And that mm-hmm. movie is uh, has Scarlett Johansson in it. No, it does not. It does. And for the longest time, bef- like as she was getting big, I was always like, "Oh,
1: that's the girl from Home Alone 3 oh, and oh like No,
0: that's Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> <laughs> I think,
1: <laughs> I think mine. If if I had to pick a film that I've seen the most times, maybe *Wizard of Oz*. I mean that's a classic, Wizard of Oz. Classier than um, Home Alone three. I think I I think I many times would dress up as a little fairy because I was like Glinda when I was little, and I think I would like per- make very much make my dad like pretend that I was casting spells on him as the good witch.
3: I just can't go through like you were watching Under the Skin and you're like oh it's the girl from Home Alone three. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Ah, the awesome. Avengers. It's the girl of Mother <laughs> oh, Three Lady.
2: Really? Lost in Translation.
1: Oh my God, she went to. Oh, she's doing well. so well for herself. <laughs> for
2: her. It's honestly so funny because it's like, it, especially if you like encounter an actor in that particular moment, yeah. um, and that ends up being your first encounter with them, and like, yeah, like it's, it's yeah, so everything hard. they do just sat no up. absolutely it's just, like, around that <laughs> yeah. piece, and it's That's, like. like that's 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 how I see your origin though you might have some like oh this was my breakthrough this, yeah. this like house film that I did or whatever <laughs> and I'm like no Home Alone, no, <laughs> that was that. Home Alone 3. <laughs> I
0: think we're pretty much out of time <laughs> uh, but thank you everyone for coming. This episode is produced by Christian Diaz-Duran, Diraj Warren and Michael Stringer. For future episodes be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from.